we just sang, God of Abraham, you're the God of covenants and faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you'll do just what you said. (laughs) Scrapping a lot of other stuff I was going to say to start this morning. When we look at Asher... When we look at uh, uh, Chad and Elizabeth Ferris, and we look at Jr. and Brandy and Lexi, look at Zalika, look at all these people, that Colin, uh, we look at all these people that have been baptized in, in recent memory, and those of you who go back beyond what I can remember off the top of my head that, that have been baptized, we declare time and time again, you've proven you'll do just what you said. And we're about to read some verses where Jesus is reminding a Jewish leader, hey, God said he's going to do something, and you're missing it. You need to wake up. You need to hear it. And that's what we're going to read this morning. If you want to open your Bibles to John 3, uh, John 3 verses 1 through 21 gets two sermons, uh, probably because it holds one of the most memorized verses in Scripture, and so we decided to land on it twice. But also because Jesus mentioned something that has been mentioned uh, once before by John, maybe twice, and it's going to come up a a lot. Uh, So we want to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about the tension of uh, Romans 1.22, the phrase, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And how how would we know if we're thinking that we're wise? How tragic. You think that you're wise, but you're becoming a fool. You're becoming a fool. It's an ongoing process. It's not, you claim to be wise and you are a fool, but you're becoming. It's a trajectory of your life. What if that's any of us? How would we know? And we talked about how Jesus is saying we must be born again. To be born again is to recognize that someone else Jesus Christ has labored, has sacrificed, has gone through pain so that we could have a new start, a new boundary, a completely new life. Why? Well, because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. So we're going to continue to unpack that this morning because we worship a God of promises, a God of covenants. Time and time again, he's proven that he'll do just what he said. Pray with me this morning. God, as we read your word, as we talk and wrestle through these things, we pray that you would, um, you would move in your spirit as you promise to give us your spirit, as you tell us that, uh, uh, the wind, breath, spirit moves, all these things we hear in your word through Jesus's words, that, that his words are spirit and life. We pray that these words would bring life to us this morning, that we would look to Jesus and trust in him. God, help us where we lack. I pray against all the distractions, all the things evil could be doing, our flesh, the world, the patterns around us that could be distracting us and pulling us away. God, put us in a place to where we can hear you. Give us ears to hear by the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In John 3, 5, Jesus is talking Nicodemus. Nicodemus kind of throws up his hands. He's like, hey, how... uh, how can someone be born again? They can't go back in their mother's womb. I I don't understand, Jesus, what you're saying. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and, say water and spirit, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There is a kingdom of God. 
a world in which everything should be happening right. That's what the kingdom of God is, by the way. We say kingdom of heaven. It's a world in which everything God desires is happening. It's a world in which the way things ought be are the way things they're actually happening. And so you can look at the world right now and say, this isn't how it ought be. This seems wrong. That's not the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, hey, hey, you want to enter the kingdom? Or later earlier, he says, if you want to see it, you have to be born again. You can't even comprehend it. You can't have eyes to see. You have to be awakened to it. You have to be born again. And now Jesus is saying, if you want to enter it, you have to be born of what? Water and spirit. You guys are good. We've trained you to say water and spirit. That's good. Say it again, just for fun. Was that fun? You didn't say it like it was fun, but I believe you. Someone said, yeah, so I'm going to use that for my little uh, words, affirmation, love language that you, you care now. So water and spirit. Why, why did you say this? Why would he say water and spirit? He's talking to Nicodemus. And remember last week we said Nicodemus is a what? He's an old Pharisee, which means he's a Bible scholar. He knows the Bible better than you. He would have memorized at least Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Who here has memorized those? Nope, nope, didn't, didn't do that yet, right? And also he's probably memorized the vast majority of the prophets or what we would refer to as the prophets or or some chunk of them. He knows his Bible. When Jesus says water and spirit, he's pulling something. He's saying, hey, you're not, you're not understanding this born again language. You're not playing. You're not stepping in what I'm throwing down. So I'm going to try to appeal to the Bible nerd in you. He says water and spirit. Look at Isaiah 44. God of faithful promises of covenants, right? That's not what the verse says. That's just me quoting the song again. Time and time again, you'll do just what you said. Listen to this. This is Isaiah. Many, many years before Jesus, Isaiah writes 44 verse three, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. Jesus is saying Israel is dry. They're, they're, they're dry and parched. Have you ever had that experience in life where you just feel dry? Maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's in parenting. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in, in uh, this promotion one in high school. You just graduated, uh, whatever it is. And you just say you're up till 2 a.m. And no matter how many TikTok videos you watch or YouTube reels you watch, there's not enough woodworking videos to make you not feel dry. You feel dry. You just feel, and Jesus, or uh, the Lord's calling it out. He's saying, hey, Israel, you're dry. I will pour water on the thirsty land and the streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon you. Implying that's not there. Implying something's needed. They don't have. You're dry. You need something because they've rebelled against him. And so if they're dry and they're never satisfied, is the Lord's response to say, get on out of here. I'm done with you. Move on. I'm going to go create another world somewhere else. Aliens. No. God doesn't do any of that. What does God do? He leans in and says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to pour water on you. You'll be like trees planted by the stream. Have you ever seen those trees? They get roots. They're deep. They go deep into the pond. They're obnoxious to remove. Anyone ever have a tree by a pond? Right? They just get so, they're everywhere. Or any tree, man. Their roots are everywhere. You're doing yard work and you're like, how is this root over here? That tree, it's a tension, right? He says, I'm going to make you like willows planted by streams and water because God is pouring out the water. The answer to their internal drought and brokenness is his spirit. 
A couple hundred years later, Jeremiah writes this, Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Not just regular water. It's qualified. It's living water. Water that has life. Water that brings life. Water that is self-sustained as life. What an interesting phrase. Living. We get so used to that phrase in church world. But like if I'm going fishing out at Crawford Lake, uh, they don't say, well, be careful. The water's alive. (laughs) Because that would be weird. No one says we got living water over here. If they, they might understand that, hey, I'm really dry and parched. Drink this water. It'll give you life. But this is just qualified as this is a fountain of living water. What an interesting phrase. That's a hot take. That's not in my notes. I just uh, that points out right now. Living water. And they've hewned out cisterns. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they've made cisterns for themselves, like pots, things that hold water. They've made pots of water that can hold No water. They're broken. They're making pots for themselves. God's people, they've forsaken him. He's got living water. How are they becoming dry and parched? Well, they've forsaken him because he's the fountain of living water. And they've got their own jugs and, and pots. We're doing this. We got this thing. This is us. And it's dry. It's broken. Even if you pour water in it, do your religious thingies. It's not filling you up. There's not enough religious festivals and thingies you can do because in itself, They've forsaken God. He's the source of living water. In fact, Paul goes on to say, hey, all these religious festivals, they're a shadow of what was to come. The reality, the substance was in Christ. How have they forsaken him? We're going to see that. Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from your uncleanliness. Now imagine Nicodemus. Jesus is talking to him and he says, born of water and spirit. Nicodemus has these verses running through his mind. He knows the analogy. He knows that God is a God of covenants who does what he says. And he said he's going to sprinkle them clean. He says he's going to pour out his water. He understands the analogies of being dry. Nicodemus just doesn't think it's him. This ain't me. That's not what's going on. And so Jesus reminds him, you have to be born again. Born of what? Water and spirit. Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from your uncleanliness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. That is where several cups of coffee or tea and meditation. What does it mean to have a heart of stone? Do you have a heart of stone? Do I have a heart of stone? What does it mean to have a heart of flesh? What has been fundamentally transformed in my life? Or is it just constantly hardened, becoming foolish? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He says he's going to sprinkle and wash them clean. Clean of what? Clean of their idols. We've talked about idols a lot here. And a lot can be said on idols. And every time I talk about idols, I can hear some people just be like, Buckle up. We're going to have the idol talk. We're not going to do that this morning. Um, we just want to talk about, I want to, I want to take it a different angle. I appreciate this idea. One of the big ironies of life, we all have life. You're alive. Welcome. Here we are. No zombies in here. One of the big ironies of life, maybe you've noticed this, but if you give your heart to seeking satisfaction and fulfillment, those are the, the few things that you'll actually never find. <laughs> 
you're always pursuing happiness, if you're always pursuing fulfillment, if you're always pursuing satisfaction, if you're always pursuing happiness, you can't hold it. Because as soon as you hold it, happiness is, satisfaction is, because there's always something more to satisfy. There's always something. That's why you have all these quotes about people looking back and thinking, man, I wish I would have realized how happy I was in this moment. I wish I realized that it was the good old days during the days. Like, I wish that was something I recognized because we're ever trying to grab these things. The great irony of our heart, our hearts cannot be satisfied in stuff and things around us. It all slips away and it all shifts. And we spend time constantly worrying that it's going to slip away and shift. So we try to control it and we try to grab it. Our hearts can only be satisfied with the giver and creator of stuff and things. That's what our hearts were created for. Trying to find satisfaction in ourselves, constantly broken. Empty cisterns that can't hold water. They're broken. They're constantly leaking. But if our hearts are created to be, to be wooed by the Lord, to be loved by Him, to worship Him, now all of a sudden... Now you find satisfaction in the source, the living water, not in all these other things that can't possibly be living. Think about the stuff in your life, the way we spend our time, money, and energy. Would you refer to those things as living water? Do they make you feel alive? They may if they're directly connected to the Lord. There's something about when I'm building something in the Lord. This is kind of a hot take, but I was telling Howard the other day when I was doing some electrical work in our house, uh, a lot of my job and a lot of my life in ministry and, and with parenting and marriage, when is it ever done? It's not. There's always something more. There's always something to be working on. There's always something to pursue. It's never done. But when I learned to install a junction box and there was not an outlet there, but there was right there, and I ran Romex, that's how you have to say that word, I'm convinced. I ran Romex wire from there to there, and now there's an outlet over there. This is in my house, not here. I didn't do anything up here. It's not going to burn down. Don't worry. But it's done. Now I can plug stuff in on the other side of my house. I'm going to say it again so you can clap because I need that. I can plug stuff in on the other side of my house. Yeah. And my house has not been ablaze for at least two weeks since we've done this. And some people slept in that room last night with no fear that it was going to be on fire. It's okay. It, it works. And so, like, that's accomplished. And here's the thing. That accomplishment feels fulfilling because I know Jesus. And, and that, might, that idea might be strange and off-putting to you, but, but there's a difference in living life in Christ because when something's done, you understand what it means to be done and fulfilled because you understand the source. I'm not satisfied by my ability to, to cut into walls and run Romex. Howard could have done it better. Some of you guys do drywall better than me. Some of you guys would look at what I did and laugh at it. But it's done from my perspective because I had a goal to accomplish and I accomplished it and I don't need the satisfaction of being the best mud monkey in the room of putting and all this or whatever. Um, I don't need the satisfaction of being the best electrician in the room because I have Jesus Christ. And so something's accomplished. So it's, it's sweeter to me. It's understood that it is finished in Christ. This is what it means to have living water. If we're ever seeking things for our own hearts, they're going to slip away. Other things we look to can't hold water. And, and more of these verses say, he's not just going to cleanse us. He's going to put what inside of us? His spirit, his presence. What is all this spirit talk? We talked about this before. In the Bible, the words wind and spirit and breath, they all come together. And because the Holy Spirit is going to come up a lot more explicitly and a lot more focused in the future in John, we're not going to spend a whole time on it right now. We're not going to go through the history of the Holy Spirit and the spirit 
in Scripture, but we will. And, and the shepherds we've talked about, that's definitely something we're going to do. We've talked about it before, but we do want to understand in general what, what kind of Nicodemus is hearing and what we should think about about the Spirit, right? There's a Greek word that Jesus uses here. Uh, it's pneuma, right? And it's the same word for wind and spirit, and, and uh, possibly, depending on the language Jesus was speaking and the words that would have been here, there is a Hebrew understanding of this word that's all over Scripture. I've used this word a lot. Does anyone know it off the top of your head? Ruach. you got to say it. It's fun to say. You have to first practice the... Come on. It's not gross. You get to do it. When does anyone ask you to do this move? You're like, oh, I'm a lady. I don't make those noises. No, pastor's asking you to. You get to. Good. Okay. So, ruach. Ruach. And here's the beautiful thing about this word, man. We had all these analogies for this. We're going to save it when we talk about Holy Spirit. But it's the same word for wind and breath and spirit. It's an animating force. When you see someone die, you can kind of watch them sink down is the best word. People say, I watch the life leave from them. What are we saying? The life, the breath, the, the exasperate. It's ruach. Right? In Genesis 1 and 2. God creates us, and He creates us out of dirt and divine breath. You are dirt and divine breath. He breathed into you. And this isn't like some cheeky, jokey thing to be like, I'm dirt, I'm a scum, write a country song. That's not the point. You are both dirt and divine breath. Right? And, and this idea of wind, this is why Jesus, when he says to them uh, in John 20, 22, when we get there, it says, and when he said this, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Man, I thank God for that verse. Because it just ripples so far into the Old Testament that from the beginning, God created you and he breathed in you. You're not just some robotic automaton that God kicked in the butt after winding up and saying, go and do your life. No, no, no. He gave you his breath. If you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia and how Aslan creates by breathing, ooh, come on, it's so good. You are dirt and divine breath. When the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, it says they heard a great wind. All these words are connected. So you see, as you start unpacking these things, hold on. Like, like, what is Jesus saying? You have to be born of water and spirit. All these things are going through. Anyone who's read the Bible, might, oh, hold on, I'm dirt and divine breath. Wind, God's animating force, water that cleanses me. Something new has to happen to me. He said, the God of promises, faithful covenants, he's going to put his spirit in me. That's what I'm waiting on. Of course, we're constantly unsatisfied. Like this is exactly why Jesus says, um, apart from me, you can do nothing. Because apart from him, we become just dirt. We don't have divine breath. We're eternally separated. We dry up. And that's exactly where Ezekiel goes next in Ezekiel chapter 37. The famous verses on the valley of the dry bones. It's a cool song written about it called Rattle. You can go and listen to it. We've rocked it here a few times. But there's this understanding. To to save a long story, uh, Ezekiel sees this valley of dry bones. It's just desolate place, dry, just bones. And then God says, prophesy, speak my truth and my words over them. And so he does. And and then these bones, they begin to rattle, which it just got some Imagine that. Whatever you imagine, bones rattling. It's such a weird, crazy story. And they rattle, and they come together. And they have, they have sinew and, and marrow and, and blood. And they just become, they become fully fledged. And then he says, prophesy to the wind, to the breath, to the spirit. 
God says this in Ezekiel 37. Thus says the Lord to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I speak your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. I'll put my spirit within you and you shall live. Implying what? They're not alive. They have all this stuff. They're coming together, but they don't have his spirit. They need to have something in them to live. Dirt and divine breath. Without divine breath, they become dirt. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you experience that in life? These things, maybe the Lord through his spirit's bringing something to mind right now. Man, this thing is just dry in my life. My, my cistern, my pot, my cup is full of holes and it's just draining all the time. Nothing satisfies, nothing brings me living hope. There is not a marriage or, or another child or a weight that I could lift or a thing that I could build or, or a, a YouTube video I could watch or a video game accomplishment I could achieve or an amount of drugs or amount of porn or amount of, of people uh, giving me attention on social media. There's no amount of those things that can actually satisfy my heart because I must have his divine breath to live. I must have his living water. Jesus wants to restore his divine breath in us. He wants to wash us clean with water and spirit. How does this happen? I mean, if you're a thinking person, you're like, okay, okay. I see you, Jesus. You got them old Testament things. Okay. Flex. You know, you're Ezekiel and Jeremiah. What do I do? So how? I would like to be washed clean, right? If you're dirty, uh, being washed clean probably sounds good. Maybe some of you are like, I don't even want to admit this, but you're watching from like, I don't want people to know I'm dirty and need washed clean. Uh, having living water sounds really great. Having a spirit, a, a divine breath, that sounds wonderful. How's that happen? Nicodemus doesn't get it either. He's in the same boat. He's like, ah, uh, what? John 3. Carry on. We're going to read verse 10, and then we're going to jump down to verse 13. Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? I love that Jesus is kind of calling him out here. He's, he's, he's trying to honor him. Hey, you're a teacher of Israel. You should get this. This is 101, bruh. Do you even lift, homie? Like he's like calling him out here, right? He goes on to say, No one, verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. If you don't understand the Son of Man phrase, it's the most common moniker Jesus uses for himself. Uh, go back and read Daniel 7, and we've talked about it here. It's Daniel 7, is that right? Someone shake your head. I think, I'm pretty certain it's Daniel 7. Uh, uh, it's prophecy in Daniel 7 where uh, it talks about the Son of Man, and this is where Jesus gets that. In fact, this is the phrase that they kill him over. He ends up saying, the Son of Man shall be lifted up. They tear their clothes, they kill him. I mean, there's several things that lead up to it, but when he calls himself a Son of Man, when Stephen is stone. He looks at me and says, I see the son of man seen on throne. Ah, ga, 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 boom, rock to the face. You don't say that stuff. That's important. So Jesus calls himself son of man. We did a whole sermon on it. Uh, you can find it on uh, different avenues, podcasts and all that. Uh, maybe we'll link it this week, but he did the son of man. And he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, no one has ascended into heaven or descended except for the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. This Numbers 21 is what Jesus is referring to. We talked about it some last week. It's a weird story. I'll give you the crash course. Israel is in the wilderness. They're uh, following Yahweh in the Exodus as he brings them out and he's bringing them to the promised land. And they have this constant pattern of grumbling, belly aching, distrusting, complaining, nagging. And they have this tension of like, we don't have no water. We don't have any food. This is stupid. If only we'd go back to Egypt because we'd rather be slaves, which is, man, if you, uh, if you come from a background of addiction, you immediately understand that. How many moments, anyone who's come from addiction, you're like, man, I don't know though. Maybe being drunk and depressed is better than this, this anxiety I feel from trying to get away from this, right? You, you have these relapsed thoughts and moments. That's how evil whispers in you. Oh, maybe it's actually worse, right? But we do the same thing with other things. Like, hey, hey, maybe there, there is enough videos you can swipe this week that'll make you feel good. You just keep going. You'll find it, right? And so that's their tension. They're like, man, God, you said, but ah, it kind of stinks. And so they doubt. And God does this strange thing. Sounds really harsh to us. He sends serpents who love snakes. Most known. Who hates snakes? Yeah, I like to ask who loves snakes because I actually don't mind them. People send pictures of them. Someone sent one this week of uh, what they call it, a danger noodle. Um, <laughs> Please use that for now. You see a snake, it's a danger noodle. And so, uh, and, and so like, my wife's like, ooh, gross, get it out. And my first thought is like, dude, let's grab that thing. I almost fell off a cliff in Michigan because I was chasing a snake to pick up for a bunch of kids. Scott Loring, he's like, oh my gosh, he tried to grab me with his banana hands. He was worried that I was going to jump off the cliff to catch a snake. I think snakes are exciting. But in general, it's strange for God to send snakes to bite people. Go like this. <laughs> I, I'm watching you not do it. This is a snake. Right, you have to have this hand to give you a fulcrum, right? If you just do this harm, it's too wiggly. Snakes are more controlled than that, people. Snake bite, right? And so God sends these serpents. What are we doing? Um, this is good. I'm glad. I'm glad we're together in this. Um, someday you guys will see all these things that aren't in my notes, and you'll be like, man, he just talked, didn't he? He just, just said stuff. Now, um, God sends these serpents to bite them, and they get sick, and they start dying, right? And, and some translators say that there was fever and thirst and all these things, and I just, the plain reading of Numbers 21, go look at it. They doubt, the story's this big. It's pretty small. They doubt God sends serpents, like you do, to bite them, and they get venomous and die. Why? Why would God do this? God's teaching them that there is a venom deeper inside them that's killing them. There is this sin, this rebellion in them has always been in humanity. And, and that even though there is viper venom that's going through them and killing them, really this is just a representation of their rebellion, their sin, their doubt that's ultimately killing them. A, a quick understanding of sin is rebellion against God. Or uh, in the discipleship stuff we use, it's called DNA. There's some sitting over there. I really like this definition. It says, sin is living life my way for me instead of living life God's way for God. Because he's the living water. He's the one who's given you life. And so sin is living it my way for me. This is my life. It's my life. Don't you ever tell me how to live my life for me. That's sin. Instead, God wants you to live the life he's given you for him, for his glory, because that's what he created everything. So this venom is poison of sin. It's consuming and corrupting and killing us. It ripples far deeper and wider than we'll ever know. Here's what Jesus is saying here. Just as there is only one way to get set free from the venom of the serpents in Numbers 21. Which, by the way, if you read the story, here's what. So these people, they come to Moses, so they, they beg the Lord, hey, forgive us. Quit, quit letting us die from these snakes. This is bad. 
as, as you do. Like life gets difficult. When things are, are, are easy or mildly inconvenient, it's all God's fault. But when everything hits fan, there's a point where it's like, hey, hold on. Only God can help me, right? And that's, they're, they're now coming to the Lord. And so God tells Moses, hey, make a bronze, take some bronze, uh, melt it down, and make a serpent that you're going to put on a pole and raise it up. And everyone who looks at that, they'll be healed. If they look at that, if they trust that God can heal them through looking, that's the implication, right? Uh, and so Jesus is saying, hey, just as, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, the only way that could heal them would be them looking at the serpent. So the Son of Man has to be lifted up. There's a new heart. A spirit has his presence. His spirit has to be put into them. True life. Listen, the serpent was supposed to be killing them. It was representing their sin, their rebellion. It was by him. Their venom was going through. And so a serpent was sacrificed. A bronzer was held up on a pole. Say, look to this and, and, and you'll be healed. Jesus saying in the same way, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, is going to be lifted up. Can you think of a time when Jesus was lifted up, aside from when He ascended to heaven before that? He was lifted up on the cross. The bullet with your name written on it, with my name written on it, David Newton, like the, all the venom, the poison from my corruption, my sin, all the things I do that rebel against God, that was put on Jesus. He was lifted up. Paul says, for our sake, he made him to be sin. All the ways that I live my life for me, instead of living the life God's given me, God's way for him. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that we might have a right relationship with God. And they simply looked to the serpent and trusted. I think it's interesting that in our culture, we did some, uh, a series a few, few months ago on attention and, and how our culture is in the economy of attention. Everything's trying to pull your attention away. And, and as you think about this idea of attention, what does get most of our attention? Our culture is all about, look at this, look at that. And everyone, every, I mean, you guys, if you're in a family gathering, someone's going to mention how Google or Amazon or, or uh, your iPhone, or whatever, it's listening to you. And I was just talking about kayaks the other day, and now Facebook's full of kayaks. And Amazon wants to, you're always, this is what, I mean, anyone who's older than a millennial loves to talk about this. And that's fine. No offense. But it's true. And why? Because our culture monetizes off your attention. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Pay attention to this. Just think for a minute. What gets your attention most days? If you were to look at your screen time report, if you were to, to look at the statistics, or even just think, just be introspective. Maybe the Spirit's going to guide you. What gets your attention? Are those things somehow connected to looking to Jesus? Are they being fulfilled and completed in Him as living water? Because none of those things are being raised to save you. None of those things can bear your sin. That's why none of those things can hold water. Because none of those things died and rose again. There's no TikTok video that can do it for you. There's no amount of running Romex wire. There's no amount of weights lifted. There's no amount of drugs. There's nothing that can do it for you because it wasn't lifted up for you. It can't deal with the poison in your soul. It can't deal with your rebellion against God. Jesus tells us that we can't do it on our own, that we need to be changed by him, by trusting in him alone. Why look like, why not? Why didn't Moses, why didn't God have them crawl? 
just go, go, oh, go, I'm so sick, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna get it. Why, why not sacrifice? Hey, go grab one of those snakes, jump off the head, or Ozzy Osbourne, get it off, and then you just go put it before the that. Why not? Because then it would be about them and what they can do. Because then the strong, they would be the ones saved. This is what's so divisive about Jesus. All these ragtag, scalawag, punk people come to him and follow him because he's giving them the kingdom. He's saying, hey, you think you're too far gone. You think you're broken. Actually, you're the one who gets it. You can come in because you have the humility to see that you're broken, that you need my spirit, that you need a new heart. Get in here. There is no no divorce. There is no broken children relationship. There's no gender issue. There's nothing that can keep you from my love. I'm doing everything to be raised up so that you can have a right relationship me. If you look to me and believe in me, I can bear the weight of those things. I can put my spirit in you and fundamentally transform you and give you life. We can't crawl. We don't make sacrifices. You can do all these religious things, but none of those things are lifted up to save you. Only Jesus can save you. We look to him. We trust him. This is why Jesus is so divisive. I mean, hear this, lean in. Some people get offended because they have to deal with the fact that they're fundamentally separated from God, that they need a new heart. They have a heart of stone. They're callous. They're rebellious. And it offends them. They don't want something outside of themselves to change their nature. They want to do it on their own or they just, I don't need that. I got this. Others find great, great hope because they recognize they can't do it on their own. They need something. Which, which one are you? Listen, there are many more people that have lived, that are stronger than you. They have more willpower than you. They have more gumption. And they never found fulfillment, satisfaction, and happiness because they were trying to do it by their strength, by their power, in their name, for their name, their life, their way, for what they want. However, there's many people who are more weak and broken than you that have found complete fulfillment and joy, and satisfaction, and peace, and love, and hope, and everything, everything, because they've looked to Jesus Christ. You're not strong enough, and you're not so broken and weak. This is why Jesus is so divisive. This is what faith, belief, trust looks like. This is why we say look to Jesus, and Jesus is everything. Say look to Jesus. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. This is why we say that, because apart from him, we can do nothing. Why, why would he do this? Why would he, the son of man, God himself coming down to show us what grace looks like, to show us what love looks like. Why would Jesus be sacrificed? Why would he be raised up and take your bullet, your sin, your pain? Why would he do that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. I want you to think about it this way. Uh, I've been wrestling with this and felt like God kind of laid this on my heart. We, uh, we have these hearts, these natures, these, this life. Um, we're not sponsored by Sonic here. Don't get the wrong idea. Um, we have, have this life and we continue to do life our way. And, and I remember when I met with a counselor and I was talking to her about my life and uh, just problems I was having. One of the first questions she asked me was, David, what drains your cup? 
She said, you, you, I've listened to your sermons. You, you, you don't preach bad and, and you've got these great kids and you've got a wonderful, beautiful wife who's so incredible and, and you can sing and play guitar, but she just went on and on. You would have thought that she was my biggest fan. So why are you here so unsatisfied? Several years ago, I was meeting with her and she's like, what drains your cup? See, what happens is we have formed these broken cisterns. You know where I'm going with this. This isn't a hard analogy, right? But we're just like, hey, man, we're going to keep doing the next thing. We've got TikTok, and we've got more kids and family, and I'm just going to keep filling. And no matter what, oh, I'm drained again. There's nothing here. It's just, it's a mess. Nothing's holding in me. And you might think this is a cute analogy, but how often do you feel dry, unsatisfied, discomfort, lack of peace? It's not enough. I read the Bible 10 times yesterday. I prayed. I, I really, really want the baby to nap and I keep praying and it's not enough. Oh my goodness, all these religious things. Or, or, or I did, I got high again. I keep looking at porn. It's never, I had a really good DTR with my spouse. My, I had a really good defined relationship with my boyfriend and I'm still drained. It's not working. It's not working. It doesn't hold water. There's not divine breath in it. And Jesus comes and he says, you need a new start. You need a new life. You need to be born again of water and spirit. And now all of a sudden, this new heart that he gives through faith in him alone, it's, it's not leaking. It's, it can hold water. It can hold his spirit. It can hold his life. Because he's living water. And then you, you have this. You have a source. You have him constantly pouring in you. And it's not draining out all over. Constantly sucking from other people. Trying to exhaust the relationships in your life. Trying to make your spouse God. Or your children God. Or your drug God. Or your internet browser God. Or your job God. None of those things will hold water. Every single time they'll leak everywhere. They cannot hold his divine breath. They will crush under his glory but he can hold his divine breath and he breathes it into you. In fact, Jesus says, or Paul writes in Ephesians 1 13 in him, Jesus Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, you heard it right now, this morning, you've heard it and you believed in him. You put your trust in Jesus. You look to him, lifted up. You trusted in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee, our inheritance. Those are words we love in our culture, so lean in. Paul knows you. God knows you. He wrote these things, so Westerners in the future would love it. The, the guarantee, the insurance, right? The, the inheritance. Those are, that's the Holy Spirit until we acquire possession of it in the praise of His glory. You are sealed in the Spirit. Say sealed in the Spirit. This is what this means. This is sealed. It's sealed in the Spirit. It's sealed in the Spirit. Why? Because you look to Jesus. Not because you crawled. Not because, because you sacrificed. Not because, because you look to Him and you trust Him. You heard the gospel that only Jesus can save you. You were sealed in Him. What's more, as it continues, Jesus says, Streams of living water will flow out of us. In John 7, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, okay, so you believe you're sealed in the Spirit. You've got it. You're filled with His presence. You hold water. You're not broken, sister. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, out of His heart, new heart, 
will flow rivers of living rivers of living water. Now this he said about his spirit, whom those who believed in him would receive. So, so as you receive his water, you go through here and you say, hey, I, I, can, I can actually show other people what this looks like. And, and I can actually, through my new heart, through knowing living water, there's something about me that can go out and I can be showing what living water to other people and saying, look, there's something real here. You don't have to leak. You don't have to constantly be dry and drained because he's the God of promises. And he said he will change our heart and he will pour out his spirit on us. And by the grace of Jesus Christ, I can stand before you and say, I'm married and I have five kids and that was not supposed to be my life. I tried really hard to screw that up. I'm not an addict anymore because of Jesus Christ. I'm not someone who's constantly angry and depressed and thinking about suicide all the time because of Jesus Christ, because I can hold water now. I have a new heart. I have his spirit that fills me up and out of me flow streams of living water. And so for my life, that looks like here I am. I'm obedient. God said, hey, order some cups, pass them out and show them about being filled with water. So here we go. This is it. This is me. Streams of living water. What is it for you? Because there's someone in your life that doesn't have living water. They're the broken hold cup. They're just constantly draining out. You know people like this. They're in your life. Maybe they're in this room right now. Maybe it's you. And Jesus says, if you receive my spirit, then you're filled with my spirit. You're fundamentally changed. And out of you should flow streams of living water. So maybe this morning, maybe this morning you recognize, you know what? I, uh, I'm dry. I've got all these holes. I, I need filled. I need something. The Spirit is pulling you right now, saying you have to look to Jesus. You have to look to Jesus. There is nothing else. There is no moment but this moment that He's given you. Look to Jesus. And maybe, maybe that looks different for several people. There, there's this wonderful analogy about how, how when you plant a seed, sometimes in some dirt you can just walk and you can just poke your finger through it and drop the seed. And it's nice and beautiful and cute. And sometimes that's how God plants His Word, His Spirit into us. Some ground, you get what's called a pickaxe. And you just, or you have to buy one of the electric things, and it tills up the ground, and it's a mess, and it's dirty. And we look at the people who've been pickaxed, and, and have been tilled up, and there's dirt everywhere, and we think, oh, Maybe that's not me. I didn't have to flush my drugs. I've never had anxiety and depression. And we think maybe they've really received the Spirit. No, no, no. That's not what the Bible saying. If, if you sit here and you say, man, I, I look to Jesus. I trust in Him. I believe that only in Him I have life. His Spirit is in you. He's working in you. In fact, if you're even having doubts and questioning it, His Spirit's moving in you and saying, look to Jesus. I'm not here to tell you where you're at on the spectrum because I don't know. But what I do know is that the only life is found in Jesus. The only water that will ever fill you up. You must be born again of water and Spirit. You can't hold water apart from Him. His Spirit must fundamentally transform you. You need a new heart. As we move into a time to response... There'll be some ushers that come forward and start passing out these cups. Everyone's going home with one of these cups. And we'll talk more about it as we close. I want you to think about what drains your cup. Are you filled? 
Do you, do you feel like you hold water? Are you doubting? Are you questioning? Maybe today you need to look to Jesus. You need to open your hands and say, Jesus, I need to be born again. I need to be born again of water and spirit. I need your water to wash me, to cleanse me, to pour over me through Jesus's blood. And I need your spirit to come into me and give me life because only you are living water. Only your spirit can change me. Maybe there's something you need to repent of. And you say, I, I follow Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus years ago or last week, or, but I'm struggling, right? We explained this last week, but we talk about these steps as being an altar because in, in the scriptures, the altar is a place where you, you sacrifice, you open your hands before God and say, listen, I'm laying this down because it all belongs to you. You are everything and I trust you. Maybe there's something in your life that you're trying to hold water that can't and you need to give it up. Maybe you need to take an action this morning to declare I'm going to follow Jesus in this way. Come up here and pray. I'll be up here. Adam will be up here. We'll pray with you. We'd love to talk to you about it because it's something we're doing ongoing. Maybe you need to acknowledge that there are people in your life that aren't seeing living water and you're supposed to be living water to them. You are saved from your sin, your rebellion and eternal separation from God through your faith in Jesus alone. But you're saved for his kingdom come and his will be done. Not for sitting there navel gazing and listening to cute analogies and taking it in so you get your spiritual motivation each week. You're saved for his kingdom come. There are people in your life that need streams of living water flowing through them. And it comes from you, Christian. It comes from you through Jesus Christ. Are the people in your life dry and parched and are you just holding the water for yourselves? Jesus says, no, that's not what I created you for. Your streams of living water. I don't know how you need to respond this morning. I'll be up here. If you want to stand, we'll pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your spirit, for being living water. Thank you for all of these things you've given us in scripture, these truths that, that so essentially connect with how we experience the world. Thank you for the understandings of water and cups and broken cisterns. God, you have done everything to clearly communicate that you love us that you want a right relationship with us, that we need you. God, I ask in the name of Jesus that your spirit would move, that you would convict, that you would empower with your spirit and that we would see you, we would look to you, we would give our lives to you, we would, we would follow you obediently in baptism, we would join the church body to grow. Whatever you're, you're moving in right now, your spirit, I pray that we would respond, that we would act as those who are looking to Jesus right now. He was lifted up. He took our sin on. Thank you. Thank you for becoming sin so that we could be right with you. Thank you for your love for us. Guide us as we respond. Amen.